Live from New York, it's unfortunately us. All right, everybody, welcome to the 54 Podcast. Today, we have our usual Chase Fry, comedian, actor, and everything in between. We have Jonathan Suarez, local musician, who was on the podcast before, and he's joining us again. Why not? And uh, how would you like me to introduce you, man? Just out of curiosity. Uh, John. John. John Catano from Salem Mystic. All right. So I guess he already did the, the work himself. He just introduced himself. Easy job. Cielo Mystic. <laughs> um, basically, I mean, if you want to give the audience a rundown, basically, of what it is that you do, you know, how the store and everything that, that you, uh, your daily operations as a whole, you know, you're more than well, welcome First to. of all, guys, I'm, I'm very happy to be here. Um, I'm John. I am the founder of Cielo Mystic, and I'm a local Union City business owner. I've been working in Union City since I was about 16 years old when I started my first, my first shop. Now uh, my humble business has become four separate locations and we're growing day by day. So yeah, I'm very excited to be part of the podcast. I'm excited to share wisdom. I'm excited to learn and I'm really excited to get to know you guys. All right. It sounds great, man. And so just... To kind of like uh, get started, uh, what is it that you guys uh, you know do at the shop, and what are the, the services that you guys offer at, at the shop? Sure, yeah. Well, Cielo Mystic is a metaphysical shop located in Union City, Uptown Union City, and uh, we we focus on helping the community find a safe environment to practice the mystical arts. Uh, there's there's a lot of schools out there, and there's a lot of uh, spiritual shops. But very few of those places can claim to be both. So Cielo Mystic is a jewelry store. It's a perfume shop. It's a crystal shop. We've got custom jewelry. We do uh, dry herbs. We have a variety of products that range from essential oils to uh, metaphysical tools that you might need for your practice. And more recently, we've been uh, starting a new venture establishing a school of mystic arts that's going to focus on teaching people uh, metaphysics and tarot and yoga and anything in the nature of mystery school. So we're really excited. Uh, we've got this new branch called the School of Mystic Arts and this is about two weeks old right now and we're really looking forward to seeing how we could build this community. I can see that yeah, you have the uh, the studio behind you. Um, you know, you're moving up in oh, the yeah. world. You got the space already, so things are looking up. I mean, you know, we're all creators and and people. You know, trying to move ahead in the community here. So it's nice to see that somebody's. You know, we're all kind of uh, seeing progression amongst each other. Uh, well, I know we I know we talked about this a little bit yesterday when we did our introduction, John. But um, could you just give us like a like an insight how you got started with all this mystic art stuff with all this? Sure. Yeah, well, Salem Mystic started, I think I think most great things start in a really dark place, and I, and I see that quite a bit. Salem uh, Mystic started when my father passed away. I think I was about 15 years old, and I started to really question what it means to be spiritual, uh, if, if there's life after death, 
if if uh, you know what happens when we die and when we're no longer here, those questions really start to open you up to a new world. And I guess the the hope that there might be something after after we've left, that hope is possibly the the bread and butter to Cielo Mystic. At the time, Cielo Mystic wasn't called Cielo Mystic. It used to be called Tercer Cielo, which is my mom's company. That It's a spiritual organization that focuses on helping low-income Hispanic communities uh, develop, develop themselves emotionally, get through alcoholism, uh, domestic violence issues, eviction issues. It's basically a consultation branch that eventually became Cielo Mystic when we started incorporating the English community and now we, we've been established for about eight years from Cielo Mystic and 30 years from Tercer Cielo. And uh, the reason why it started was because we realized that the spirituality was growing and we realized that there was a lot of people that were becoming part of that New Age movement. But there wasn't really any formal structure established to guiding people and in the metaphysical community. There was just like small niches small groups that would pop in here and there and we felt that without like a proper foundation without a proper structure uh the spiritual community would cease to grow at one point or would continue being a cult and that was kind of our our mission to to bring out to light spirituality that for a long time has been a cult and for, for, yeah. for a good reason they've called it occultism they call the call call it the occult and it's hidden. It's been hidden for so long. But two things have changed the last 20 years. One, the internet. Having the internet available and having people have the internet available to them has allowed them to have all the metaphysical wisdom they could possibly imagine at their fingertips if they so choose to look it up. And two, the, um, the, the bringing of Harry Potter. Harry Potter being established as a worldwide movie and that, the effect that that's had on the youth 20 years later. We're now growing up, getting older, and starting businesses and deciding that, hey, maybe this whole Harry Potter thing doesn't have to be a fantasy. Right. Yeah. So, so what, what about Harry Potter specifically <laughs> do you think? What, what's, what's drawn you to this conclusion? Well, I remember watching Harry Potter, and I, I remember seeing, like, all the problems that they had. It was like muggles versus wizards and wizards separate from muggles and the two can't know about each other and they can't relate to each other. And I always, I always disliked that division. I felt that, yeah. that if, if there's something that can, that can succeed, it has to succeed with unity. So there could be muggles and there could be wizards, but why can't they be both at the same time? And I also, I also grew up in a household. My mom, my mom is a medium. She's, she's a spiritual guide and a medium. She's been doing that for my whole life. So, whereas a lot of kids would watch Harry Potter and they would be told, hey, that's just a fantasy. It's a movie. It stays there. I wasn't told that. I was, I was told it was real. And I, I, was, I was convinced that it was real. I just, I was waiting for my letter that I never got. And yeah. I guess that's one of my, that was one of the things that, that really made me sad as I grew up. And I realized, wow, this world that I am so in love with doesn't really exist and so i decided hey why 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 don't i change that mm. and and yeah oh, go ahead chase oh i was just gonna touch on the on your mom really quick um so you said she's a medium 
And obviously that's like, I think it's fair to say, has like sort of influenced you towards this like cielo mystic past. I, that Would you say that's fair to say? That's just Definitely. sort of like, yeah. Definitely. Uh, I come from a very, uh, I, I, I come from a family of entrepreneurs. So at 16, I wasn't really given a choice. A lot of kids, you know, at 16, they go and they get their first job. I, I came from an environment where at 16, you grow up and you get your first business. Yeah. And I guess I was given a lot of freedom as to what I could do with, with my time. And I was given motivation and push. And I was given so much uh, support when it came to establishing my business. And when it came to, you know, when it came for me to decide what I wanted to do, I, I decided to continue my mom's business, which was, was interesting to me. You know, I started, I started like at 15, 16, I would take the train to New York to, to stock up on merchandise. I would buy incense and oils and herbs and, and statues and figures, and I would bring them back in like briefcases and suitcases full of merchandise. I developed relationships with these uh, with these older manufacturers that was like you see a 16 year old boy walk in with a suitcase. He's like, oh crap, okay, I guess uh, I guess I'm selling to this kid. This kid walks in with 500 bucks and a suitcase. You're not gonna say no to him. So, <laughs> so I started I started my I started my business that way. My mom had her connections, and I kind of you know, move forward with those, with those relationships. And I continue the relationships that we had with them, eventually starting my own business as a result of it, mm. as an extension to hers. Right. And, and where would you say that uh, your mom's, uh, where, where did she receive her, her, her teachings or where, how was she taught about, uh, about her ideologies, essentially? That's a, that's a, that's a good question. It's mm. actually really interesting, the story of, of Diana. And I call her Diana because uh, in, in, in the way that I see it, I, the way I perceive it, Diana is, the, is the, the character that she channels when she does her practice. Mm -hmm. And my mom is my mom. But Diana is the person that, that, that she becomes the vessel to Diana, the spirit. I see. And her, her upbringing started very spiritual. Like in our village in Mexico, uh, there, there are certain people that are chosen to be like the, the village healers and it, simply by like a birthmark or a mannerism or maybe even like a lineage, they're chosen to be like the spiritual healers. So at a very young age, like around the age of three or five, my mom was chosen to be the spiritual healer of her, her community and she was taken in by a midwife. Like we didn't really have that many hospitals back, back then. So like you would, uh, you would be born in the same house where you, where you would live and she had little hands. So they would use her little hands to help give birth to, to, to the ladies of the village. And that's kind of really how she started her reputation. She would, uh, she would like when somebody was about to give birth, she would, the midwife would come pick her up and they would go and they would help deliver the child. And, and yeah, that's how, that's how it started. She was, she was literally a kid helping, helping kids be born. And uh, that was very interesting, you know, to, to hear those stories growing up and seeing how how that progress led her to where she is today. Huh. And, and you've also mentioned as well that you're um, you're Jewish as well. Is that yeah? What what side of the family is that from again? Well, to be Jewish, only you can only be Jewish through your mother. Right. It's not mm -hmm. uh, the the Jewish lineage can only pass be passed down from mother mother to 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 offspring. Right. And it's a matriarchal society. 
So that can only come from my mom. Okay. And um, what's very interesting about being Jewish and being Mexican, which at times is kind of like an oxymoron, yeah, it's that we didn't actually know. That we didn't actually know we were Jewish for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom was. My mom had her mother, right? And it was a long time before before she realized my my grandmother's full name. My my grandmother lost a lot of her her Jewish like uh, tradition, and the little bits that she gave my mom were you know splattered all over the place. But when she realized my my grandma's full name, and then she realized her full name as a result of that, mm-hmm. we looked into it and we realized that there was there was more in our family that was Jewish. There was more to our family than just Mexican. Right. So so yeah, that kind of started us on a collective journey to understand Judaism and how that we never really fit in with with Catholicism. And Buddhism was there too, and Mormonism was there at one point as well. But Judaism seemed to be the one thing that connected with all of us. Mm-hmm. And I guess mm-hmm. that's when we decided to collectively pursue that. That was probably about 10 years ago. And um, as, as, as a family, we decided that, hey, this is, this is kind of what we're drawn to. So how you do know, you... There's, there's... Oh, go ahead. Sorry, I didn't... I mean, I didn't no, no tell me. No, I was I was wondering like how do you um, now that you've uh, basically been exposed to the world of Judaism, how do you consolidate the Judaic beliefs with the um, the mystic side of your life? Well, they're actually very they complement each other very well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you if you understand how profound Judaism is, mm-hmm. it's um, a lot of people have the misconception that being Jewish is only being Hasidic. Or only being an right. Akhenazi Jew, mm-hmm. and that is that is a big misconception. There are there are black Jews, there are white Jews, there are Hispanic Jews, mm-hmm. there are Asian Jews, and I think that uh, throughout the generations, we've forgotten that the original Jews were actually black, and and so that that really kind of opened my eyes. There's a, there's a group of Jews that started what we now know as the Kabbalah. The Kabbalah is, uh, it's a phrase, it means to pass on, or to give, or to receive. And the Kabbalah is some, it's a concept that originates from Spain, from which my, my family originates as well. And the Kabbalah is a Jewish practice, even though it's a Spanish practice as well. And the group of Jewish people that, that practice Kabbalah, and that originate Kabbalah, are called Sephardic Jews. Not a, not a lot of people know about Sephardic Jews, and even less people know that the Sephardic Jews have a language called Ladino, which is a form of Hebrew Spanish. It's it's a very it's a yeah it's very yeah, yeah. it's very interesting. There's the, Spanish Jews have their own language, they have their own culture, they have their own system of beliefs, and um, it reflects Hasidic Judaism, although it's not completely uh, Orthodox Judaism. Mm-hmm. So it kind of exists in its own bu- bubble, I would say, or at least separate yeah. from, from from everything else. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Chase, you look like you want to ask something. I have I have a million and one questions for you, <laughs> but I just like 
I'm, I'm so interested. I've like, some are going to be a little off topic as we go along, if that's all right with you. Go for it, bud. I want to know, first, my first question is, I notice you're wearing a necklace right now. Oh, yes. Tell me, yes. tell me about it. <laughs> uh, well, I've, I've always been into really avant-garde pieces. My first piece was uh, a medallion that I made. It was like three inches wide. It was uh, it was uh, the seven keys the the seven keys of Solomon. It was uh, the the seven archangels of Solomon, mm -hmm. and um, this one is a it's an obelisk. It's it's a garnet obelisk that was wrapped in the shop, handmade by Jasmine, my partner there, and uh, yeah, it's 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 usually used for like a meditation or possibly for a chakra alignment. It's not really used as a pendant, but I decided that why not? Why not make it into a pendant? Like the piece is probably like over over two inches. So it's it's bigger than your average pendant. And uh, yeah, it's I like I like pieces that stand out. So that's yeah. that's that piece. Yeah, definitely stands out. And I think uh, I think when you see somebody walking with uh, with a huge crystal shard it kind of tells you a little bit about where they are in their life. Right. Well, John, yeah, I mean, it's definitely a, it's a conversation starter, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. No, I was also saying, like, Jonathan's rocking one, too. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's actually, actually uh, since yeah. we haven't touched upon it, Jonathan, do you want to say how it, uh, how you know uh, John here? Like, how you guys met and, and how, yeah, yeah. why um, your relationship is so important? All right, well, I was, I was in eighth grade, and, um, I was living in Union City at the time, and my mom ended up meeting John's mom, and uh, my mom ended up asking me one weekend, hey, do you want to work? And uh, I said, yeah, being a little 13-year-old that wanted to make some money. And uh, I ended up being introduced to John at the market, and uh, we started working together. And then it went from having just carts to two carts to end up having a store. And it's like, it was weird, because it would, it would be like one weekend we're here, and then the next we're here, and then the next we have our own shop, and then we're there. At, we're there at the shop for a while, and John is out doing John things, and I'm there at the, like I'm the youngest person in this entire store of more stores and shit, and just yeah, just working. Just, yeah, it grew. It grew very quickly. I felt. I feel like. I feel like the community was starving for something like that. Mm. So, I, I, in hindsight. The, the growth that it had, it makes more sense now. And the growth that, that I call it the Cielo Mystic Project, the growth that that project continues to have is a result of the spiritual hunger that people have. And, you know, it was like Jonathan said, you know, it started in a mini market, like a little, a little mini market in Union City on 45th Street in Bergenlein, with, which had a bunch of little stands and a couple shops. Yeah, no like bigger a, than 500 like square market. feet. Yeah, kind of like yeah, a, like a flea market. market. It was yeah. a flea market, yeah. you know? And and we started with one table, and that became two tables and three tables. And within six months, it became a shop and then two shops. And by by a year and a half, it was it was two shops, and and it was, you know, a, a structure. There was there was something to work off there, you know? It was funny being being that young. And mind you, I'm I'm working. I was working with him, and I'm probably like the most atheist person in the <laughs> whole fucking all of Union City, working with spirituality, not really understanding anything or, of what's going on. Just knowing that I have an objective, and that objective was to sell something. Mm -hmm. 
Right. Yeah. In hindsight, <laughs> so, the, in hindsight, the knowledge probably would have been a lot better considering, you know, like, a lot more I'd valuable. Actually, yeah, knowing I could fucking sell, but right. I'm knowing what I'm selling, so, but also developing the spiritual side of who I am. So. Jonathan, can I ask you this? Um, working with John, I know you just said you were atheist, but working with John, how has that helped or changed or influenced your spiritual development? Like, where did that guide you to? Well, I think having a guide is only acceptable as a guide if you accept it as a guide. I don't... Okay. Um, At the time when I met him, up until a couple months ago, uh, my beliefs in spirituality were very minimal. I didn't really believe in anything, and I had several existential crises almost like every other month, considering, like, what is life? Like, where do we go from here? Do I believe what the Christians are telling me about this man who can make water into wine or do I believe uh, you know people who believe in Buddha and their beliefs or you know like there's just so many different religions that the idea of unity between them didn't make sense until recent when I came to my own self-discovery now realizing that I made that discovery when I was eight years old watching a video on YouTube that kind of explained everything to me and then it blowing my mind. Yeah, shout out Spirit Science. Spirit Science, for yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, so, it's good stuff. Um, yeah, being, uh, being an atheist and meeting John, that was a, uh, it was, it was quite <laughs> quant- a big contradiction. Yes. So, so a Jew and an atheist walk into a bar, and you know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know what, guys? It's interesting that Jonathan tells you know the way he's explaining it is it's really interesting because it takes it takes being in a dark place. Like the yeah. the human has to be in a dark place in order to find or to try to seek some form of light, and that is really yeah. what the Kabbalah is. The Kabbalah is to receive light. So you you will not be in the place to look for light unless you are in a dark place. And, and that's what you're going to see reflecting in everyone's spiritual journey. They are in a dark place. They are living throughout this hard experience. And they have decided that now they want to see more from the world by pursuing spirituality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and It's not even just the world. It's, it's literally everything else. Like everything has a meaning after that. For me, at least that's what it felt like. Everything worked in a sequence. Everything was something. And there was no coincidence. Coincidences are just thrown out the window. And you kind of realize and you kind of accept everything for what it is. And in, in turn, it made me happier with everything. Because I didn't have to worry about well, what comes after death. The, the, what comes after death is what happens. But I'm, I want to enjoy right now. Right now was the most important thing to me. Since I started accepting these things. Yeah. yeah. So. So, um. So I think that it's really easy for people who grow up with Catholic parents or with, you know, Muslim parents or with Jewish parents or whatever to sort of like be like, yeah, I'm Jewish. That's what I am. And sort of throw the religion to the side. Um, And I know you've touched on it a little bit, discovering that you're, you know, have this Jewish part in your past and you have this like all that. But what in you like 
didn't let you throw that aside. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, yeah, why? yeah, I, I get yeah. you for sure. You know, it's very interesting because I, I didn't grow up Jewish. I didn't realize I was Jewish until I was probably about 15 years old. Right. And you know, being being 15 and just discovering that you're Jewish, it it's it's a very different experience because I mean I've met a lot of Jewish Hasidic people in my time. Because one of the businesses that we have is a testing center, and we the, a lot of Jewish people don't go to traditional school. They they go they get homeschooled. They go through yeshiva, and then they go and they get their GED and they get their diploma. So they would end up coming to us to get their diploma, and I would talk to them. They would be my students, and I would get to know how they've lived their life being Jewish. And it's funny because they when when you grow up Jewish, and it's something that is by default. You don't really value it as much. They're like, yeah, I'm Jewish. It's what I do. It's what we do. There are some people, obviously, that really embrace it. But there's a good percentage of people that, like, you know what? I'm Jewish. I, I guess whatever. I'm not. I don't really care. And I'm over yeah. here. It's like, whoa, you're Jewish. You you mean you got a bar mitzvah? You mean you you mean you're you're you've got this whole tradition? You get to celebrate Passover and you get to you get to get the days off for the prayer and you get to do all this stuff. And I'm like, yo, that's so cool. They're like, yeah, whatever. You know, I, I guess you know. We actually, and, uh, we actually briefly touched upon that about how some um, some of the people some of the people in the Jewish community actually have more atheistic beliefs, but still practice the Jewish traditions within their family. Like I know a, a lot of people that are Jewish, and for whatever reason, or not for whatever reason, but they still have this kind of like agnostic leaning uh, personality, and they simply just follow the traditions of their faith. There's a reason for that, mm -hmm. you know the. Um, Jew in Judaism, there's there is a Jew, and there is a Gentile. Right. Do you guys know what that is? Yeah, Gentile. You know what yeah, Jew. Yeah. 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 Anybody who's not a Jew is a Gentile. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, so you know, right off the bat, you get this divisive mindset. It's like, okay, we're the Jews, and those are the Gentiles, and we're different from them. So we're going to set up our own schools, and we're going to set up our own communities, and we're going to set up our own businesses, and we're only going to buy from our businesses, and we're going to set up our own foods, which are kosher or parve, and we're only going to eat those foods. And you, you develop a community within the community, which is, which is great. It's amazing. It's actually really healthy mindset if you if you do it right and I personally advocate for communities of all races to embrace that mindset but the divisiveness starts when they start to think we are better than you guys because we're God's chosen people and and that mindset that's when it becomes dangerous Jewish people have a long history of oppression Jewish people have a long history of of, of, uh, of violence onto them and I think that has definitely contributed to, to how divisive they are. And I completely understand why, you know. But, um, but like, I always have a joke when people ask, you know, uh, about Judaism. It's like Moses and his people did not travel 40 days and 40 nights through the desert and come out white. You know, that's not, you don't go through the desert for that long and end up white. Mm -hmm. Jewish yeah. people are not are not just Hasidic. There are, there are 12 tribes. Well, actually, if you ask me, there are 13 tribes, but if you ask a Hasidic Jew, there's only 12 because they don't consider the tribe of Levi part of the tribes. The, the tribe of Levi, I, I believe, is what we know as the Hasidic Jews. The Hasidic Jewish people 
and in, in, in from my studies, I've determined that the Hasidic Jewish people are the Levites. They're one fraction of, of, the, Jewish, uh, of the Jewish collective. But there are 12 other tribes that are not the Hasidic Jews. Right. Yeah. Like the tribe of Benjamin and the tribe of the tribe of um, uh, the tribe of Dan. You know, like these all these all these tribes of Naphtali and Shimeon. And funny enough, my sister belongs to the tribe of Shimeon. Her father is generations of Shimeons, and he's black. He's Haitian. You know, so. He has a Jewish name. It, it belongs to a Jewish tribe, and he just so happens to be to be black. Yeah. So I'm going to backtrack you here a little bit. Um, why don't they consider consider the tribe of Levi a tribe? What's the tribe of Levi isn't considered a tribe because they don't have land. They weren't given any land, and okay. I think if you understand Judaism. That right there is a huge puzzle piece to the conflicts that we're facing today with Jewish people. The tribe of Levi does not have a land. And the reason why they don't have land is because when they were chosen by, by, um, by Israel, the patriarchs of, of the original uh, Israeli project, if I may, they were chosen to be the priest class. They were supposed okay. to be the ones that were the priests for all the other tribes. All the other tribes got land in this body mass that they knew as Jerusalem, uh, Israel. And, and um, each one of them got a section of Israel. But the tribe of Levi did not. The tribe of Levi embarked all of the tribes, was meant to hold all of the tribes together. And for that reason, they were not given land and they were not given anything to work on. The, the purpose of the tribe of Levi, the way that they survived, was through the tithe that the other tribes gave them. So you would not see a Levite in the field. You would not see a Levite in, as a merchant. You would not see a Levite as, as, a, as a king or a priest. Or You know, they would see them as a king. You would see them as a priest. They were the priest class. So it was the responsibility of the other tribes to bring offerings to the tribe of Levi so that they could bring those offerings to God. And, of course, take their cut in the process. Okay, so you said earlier that this has led to the current land disparagement in Israel. How so? Well, the other tribes had land, and the Levites did not. So now we fast forward 5,000 years later, and the ones that are supposedly the only Jews, the Levites, don't have a land. Well, they've right. never had a land, and they've always fought for a land. And it wasn't until the Holocaust that happened in World War II that the United Nations decided to get together and establish a formal, a, a formal Israeli state. But that's, that's a relatively new concept. Because yeah. this land that is now being called Israel, which was called Israel a long time ago, but now is formally known as Israel, was shared by three groups since the beginning of, of these religions 5,000 years ago, or, or 2,000 years ago since the beginning of, of Catholicism and, and Christianity, it was shared by the Islamics, the Muslims, by the Christians, and by the Jews. It was a three-way divide. But okay. as of recently, it's been, it's been more leaning towards it being declared a Jewish land. 
which you know may or may not be the case. And it causes conflict with well, you know, everybody is aware of the conflicts with Palestine, and you know how yeah. that's also been brewing basically since uh, Israel was established as a as a actual official uh, state. Um, so, I mean, I, I'm sorry, I just I was just interjecting there, but Chase, I, I feel like you were going to follow that up, and I was. Kind of oh, before you guys do, I wanted to add one more thing, and yeah. I think this is an important detail to add. Yeah. Uh, if you guys follow Judaism and if you are interested in the Torah, uh, I believe it was a book of Kings, or yeah, I believe it was a book of Kings, uh, the second, the fall of the second temple. Like the Jewish people lost their ways many times. It wasn't just that they they messed up a few times. They, they started yeah. worshiping idols. They started practicing things that they weren't supposed to be practicing according to to the religion. And their their temple fell twice. Their temple fell yeah. twice. They lost they lost their throne twice. After the second time that they lost their throne, their god declared that they no longer deserve the land. The land was taken away from them. It wasn't yeah. it wasn't like that. It wasn't like that they lost it. They lost the privilege of that land because of some of the practices that they were doing. And that's very important to note because now for them to claim that this land is theirs when they lost their privilege for this land a long time ago, it's kind of unfair. Right. Yeah. So can you actually, um, this is sort of a broad question, I guess, but could you describe the first temple to me? Because I've heard of it a little bit, but yeah. yeah oh, I, man. I yeah, of course. Of course I can. Um it's, I'm, I'm happy you asked, man. It's because that right there is a, a very important question. Uh, a big part of my journey was also my affection towards uh, Freemasonry. I'm a, I'm a huge, huge studier of Freemasonry. I, I, love, I love studying Freemasonry. And when I was a kid, uh, coming from the background that I came from, and my mom being a... a um, my mom being a, a medium, there was a lot of Freemasons that came to consult with her. And I was going to be a Freemason myself a long time ago. I decided not to, and I've committed to never committing to Freemasonry. Uh, but the reason why that's important is because if you've ever, you've ever seen a Freemasonic temple, you have seen a modern rendition of the first Jewish temple. Okay. And the way that I would describe it to you it is it's a huge building with a total of either nine or 12 pillars. The front pillars are two huge pillars about 40 cubits high, one named Yashin and the other one named Boaz. And both of those pillars represent mercy and, and, um, and mercy and justice or mercy and wisdom. Or, or mercy and strength that varies from culture to culture. And in the front of the temple, there was, from, from the descriptions of it, the second temple, which was the second rendition, I believe this one was made, no, the first one, this one was made with King Solomon, who made the first temple. Uh, he, he established it with this figure known as Ba'al, B-A-A-L, Ba'al, which is one of the... Um, Canite gods, which has the head yeah. of a bull. It's a, it's a statue made of gold. Now, the, the, the temple, or as some people call it, the Eastern Temple, was made up of gold. Gold doors, gold walls, gold floors, gold everything. Everything was gold. 
And uh, when you would walk into the temple, there would be three entrances to get into the temple. There was one entrance for the Jews, right? There was, uh, it was a big, big entrance in the front that was for the Gentiles. There was a side door for the Jews, and there was a secret door for the kings. And it was in ranks. Only the kings can go through that door, and only Jews can go through the Jewish door, and everybody can go into the Gentile door. And, and that's, that's how it was set up. You know, it'd be a place where you come, you bring your offerings, you bring your, your burning herbs, you bring your animals. If you've committed a sin, you have to donate your calf. It would, it would kind of be like a community center for spirituality, where not only would you come to physically release, you would also come to spiritually release. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So I'm actually going to switch the subject here just a little bit because I want to know about your interest in Mesopotamia. Yeah. What what got you interested in that? Because that seems like such a switch from everything else. Well, you'd be surprised that the reason why I'm so interested into into Mesopotamian and Babylonian cultures because I don't believe that there's a division. I believe that there's a very, very thick line connecting the two. And uh, if if you ask me, there's in, in Kabbalah there's this concept known as the seventy-two names of God, and it's this belief that that God had seventy-two names, different names in the the, the Hebrew language, and those those names were different emulations of God and it's my personal belief that they omitted those names from the Bible and replaced all those names with Adonai which means the Lord Hashem which means the name or or Yahweh which just means which is one of the gods but I believe that at one point the original Bible had all 72 names inscribed into it so where it now says God, it would actually speak about a specific form of God. Going back to your question about Babylonia and Mesopotamia, some of the stories are very reflective of each other. Uh, a patriarch God coming and creating the uh, universe, uh, 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 Earth, and creating the Earth in, in His image and creating these beings that reflect their people to dig up gold to bring back to their atmosphere. I always felt there was a connection between the Anunnaki and the Adonai, the, the El Shaddai, the, the group of gods. And I never saw the Old Testament as a story of one god, but as a story of multiple gods interacting with humans. So my, my, my job as a spiritual worker has been to figure out how Mesopotamian culture connects to Judaism and Catholicism and Christianity. You know, in, in, in Babylonian mythology, you have this patriarch god called Anu, who sends uh, seven, of his, uh, seven of his people to earth to populate the earth and bring back gold. Uh, one, of, one of his sons, um, if, if I'm not mistaken, was um, Enki. If I'm, if I'm correct, Enki decided that he wanted to create these humans in his image and gave them free will. Lucifer the light bearer is called Lucifer the light bearer because he bears 
fire. He gave humans the ability to use fire. And it has a strong connection to Enki, the original, the original god that gave us the ability to think freely. Hmm. So, so I believe that those two stories not only complement each other, but are actually a continuation of each other. And the bridge between those two stories is a very special book that was taken out of the Bible, known as the Book of Enoch. Hmm. Okay, so could you actually explain the Book of Enoch uh, for people who don't know? The Book of Enoch. Uh, it's been a while since I've read it, so uh, bear with me if I if I get a few things. You know, whoever looks into it, I I, I have a link available to anybody who uh, asks us from Shalom Mystic Instagram to the Book of Enoch, the whole text online, for free. Uh, the Book of Enoch describes the journey of a tribe and a man, Enoch, ascending to become one of the archangels, known as the Archangel Metatron. And he describes a land before the Torah, before the, 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 the time that we see now. You see shades of the, 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 the Noah story in it. You see, you, you, see, you see shades of the Moses story. You see a lot of shades of like this messiah figure bringing his people out of darkness into light and being given grace by God. But one of the most important things that you note in the, in the book of Enoch is that it talks about multiple gods. It talks yeah. about giant, giant uh, beings known as Nephilim, which are characters that were created between humans and these gods. Giants, literally huge 70-foot-tall giants that started, uh, angels started intermingling with, with humans. And their creation was something called the Nephilim. The Nephilim being a huge giant that was an offspring of angel and human, it was considered an abomination by God. That story leads up to Noah's story of the Noah's Ark of God deciding to cleanse the earth of all these of all these beings that he he deemed to be un, unholy. And and that's really interesting because you see the connection of the Noah story of cleansing impurities with the Enoch story of, of angels intermingling with humans. And uh, yeah, yeah, that, that is um, something that is worth, worth looking into. Yeah, so I actually heard a theory that um, the flood was to wipe out the Nephilim. Yeah. What, what credence do you give that? Yeah, no, I, I agree, I agree. I agree that... Um, I believe that the book of Enoch is, uh, it's before the book of Genesis. And even the book of Genesis is younger than people think it is. It has pieces of older books like the Sefer Yetzirah, which is a very, very, very old book. Um, but yes, I do believe that angels, not, not, not angels like wings with halos floating in the sky, Right. But but angels like beings that that exist in a different frequency, like uh, beings that are that are physical, not in our in our perceivable frequency. Angels, beings that are perceivable in a in a higher frequency, that we cannot we cannot physically perceive because of our own limitations. These beings are beings that make up the structure of the universe. And at the time, they were given a lot of influence over how the universe works. So they intermingled with 
the with with the human off with the humans, and they they created something which was considered an abomination known as the Nephilim. And uh, since then, like if you look at if you look at like uh, temples in Peru, you see these massive sky temples with stairs that are like three meters long, where people have to make stairs on the side of those stairs because those stairs are so wide. Uh, for a long time, it was considered conspiracy theory and fake Photoshop photos of like massive skulls where like a whole human was the size of the nose of the skull that was found. And, and you know, the reality of there being giant human humanoid figures becomes more and more clear the more you look into it. So yeah. I believe that there were real massive beings, which are the ones that we know as the Anunnaki. Yeah. So where uh, where do the Anunnaki tie in with the Nephilim? How is that? Are they the same thing? Are they? That that is the that, that is the question. That is the, the universal question. It could be they are the same thing. That they are the same beings. It could be that they are a genetically modified version of those beings mixed with us, or it could just be that they're the creation of those beings. But in all the stories from Hanuman and Shiva in Hinduism to some of the gods in Peru to the sun god in Mexico to to the gods of of um, of, of Greek mythology, all of those refer to giant humanoid figures in the sky coming and giving us the ability to create fire and astrology and astronomy. And you know, even the Book of Enoch talks about how how these in order to procreate with us as a, as a payment, as the, the, the angels as a payment to procreating with humans, they gave us the knowledge of astrology and numerology and, and alchemy as a payment for us giving away our, our daughters. It's hmm. an interesting concept. Um, I forgot, actually, Chase, go ahead, because I forgot what I was about to ask. I was going to... Really I was, I thought you had a question, dude. I was waiting for, I was waiting for <laughs> yeah, you. I've been was, hogging up all the questions. No, was I was this, stuff, this stuff has always interested me, so I could ask questions right, on no, all no, that. I remember now. So I was actually going to ask about the giant humans that, uh, that you referenced, or at least the giant beings, essentially. So you mentioned that uh, there were images that people used to believe that were photoshopped, um, or at least a while ago, which I, I've seen images uh, like the ones that you referred to and. You know, they're always usually referred to as just images that, you know, have been shopped or whatnot. Do you have, uh, where, where, where could I find those images that you were referring to, essentially? You could, you could just Google Peru Giants, okay. and you're going to see uh, the gigantic steps, like huge steps in Peru. Uh, you, you know, you could, you could look, Peru, right? yeah, Peru, you could look up, uh, if you look up um, Peru Giants, in ancient Cusco, you're gonna find a lot of, lot of cool stuff. Looking at Peru giants on Google will definitely give you some results. You know, like heads that are the size of, of people. You know, and and they always seem to have these elongated skulls, which is very interesting because if you go back to Egyptian mythology, and and spirituality, you 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 see the reference of elongated skulls. Which I believe humans started to mimic, as of as a, as a homage to the old 
giants that naturally had those skulls. Interesting. And do you, do you, hypothetically speaking, do you think that these beings are uh, directly related to humans, or do you think there's some kind of separate entity altogether? No, I think I think they they have to be directly related to us. I think that if anything, we're we're related to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Um. So. Oh, Joseph, go. No, I, I was going to say, the only reason I bring that up is because I guess the farther back you go in terms of the human fossil record, it actually seems that we get smaller. So that's why I was asking why, where those uh, beings would fit in in the archaeological record. Ah, so, that's a great question, and I'm yeah. glad you asked it. Mm-hmm. Because because <laughs> you, you're, you're asking the further back we go, the smaller we get. Right, mm-hmm. but but what what I'm what I would say is that the, our history, our spiritual history, is far older than we can possibly imagine. There were there was there were these beings here already. Right. There were these Neanderthals already developed from from um, from like apes. Right, these creatures were already here. The Anu, these, these beings from, from space, if you may, mm-hmm. came and found Neanderthals and found Homo erectus and played with their DNA to create modern Homo sapiens. I see. But it wasn't, it wasn't, like, it wasn't like those, the, the archaeological history, it accurately depicts our, our biological history, but that gap between... Uh, Neanderthal and Homo erectus, and the combination of the two, by a, a third party, is what I believe created us. Okay. And and so it, it does tie in there because those were those beings were there. They were they were alive. They were they were like hobbit like figures. Right. They were they were all round. Well, it's, it's interesting. They, there's there's different. Uh, and sorry to interrupt you, but there's different kinds of hypotheses as to you know how it is that. Uh, essentially the modern homo sapien came to be from the neanderthals and from the uh, early homo erectus and also the, the i believe it's called the denisovans which is another species that, of humans that we yeah. really don't know much about um but i mean that that could obviously that could be a, a very equal hypothesis to the ones that are also already prevalent um the other ones are simply that you know, Homo erectus and eventually the homo sapiens and the neanderthals simply just interbred with one another being the, which is the reason that we also possess Neanderthal DNA in certain individuals. You can find large portions of Neanderthal DNA within them in yeah. comparison to other people. Um, but that's why I mentioned the, the larger beings, because I, in terms of, if you, if you look in our biological record, not just archaeological, but also in us, uh, current modern humans, it, I was wondering where, that, where their trace would, would be, essentially. I think I think that intermingling part—that's where their trace would be. Mm-hmm. The 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 connecting these three different forms of human together, mm-hmm. and mixing them, matching them, uh, taking things away, and and bringing things together. I think that that interaction would either either be very hard for three different races to meet, mm-hmm. or they were brought together by some some third party. And who knows? We've got these stories that seem to connect to each other, and and I feel like there's there's a reason for it. 
you know, I, 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 I'm certainly not denying that evolution plays a massive part in this. No, right. I'm but not... I believe that. No, go ahead. Yeah, I believe um, that spirituality and evolution, they, the truth will be found within both. Yeah. So, wh why? Why do we have any clues in the ancient texts? Do we have, is there any leads, any theories on why the Anunnaki would do this? Is there like, or were they just sort of bored? There were the, there was the, the Emerald Tablets. There's, you should look into the Emerald Tablets. They kind of talk about, about some of this stuff. And uh, the, the running theory is that the race that we're talking about, the, the Anunnaki, if you may, they've been called many things in, in different times, but if you, if you know them as the Anunnaki, the reason why they're doing, they did this, was because their atmosphere was running out. And the only thing that can sustain their, their atmosphere is gold. And Earth is rich in gold, or richer than their planet. Mm -hmm. And they harvested humans, they created humans to harvest the gold in order for them to go and deposit that into their atmosphere to sustain their world a little longer. So what properties does gold have that allows it to sustain that atmosphere, at least from the perspective that, that we're going off of? You know, I, I've, I've got an interesting relationship with, with that metal. Mm -hmm. I, I've got a, I, I used to intern, well, I, I could say that I still work at this place called Trax NYC. Mm -hmm. Which, if some of you guys may know, it's uh, it's like a local uh, jewelry store in the Diamond District in Manhattan. And the reason why I started working there was because my my boss Maxud, uh, he he used to hold seminars regarding gold and and the value of gold and the history of gold and why it's so important. Right. And it was all strictly you know logical stuff, historical stuff. It was there wasn't a hint of spirituality in there, but. Um, but that metal is one of the rarest metals that we have. All, all, the, all the elements in the periodic table are, are made up of variations of hydrogen and combinations of all these chemicals that are the base of nitrogen and hydrogen, all these mixing different variations to create the rest of the elements in the periodic table. But gold seems to be the rarest one. And it's also the only one that reflects the color of the sun most accurately. There's no other mm. metal that is naturally gold. Right. And, and it's interesting that gold, despite being considered a metal, it's, it's not really a metal. It's actually a powder. On its own, gold is a soft, soft, like, uh, dust. Yeah, it's very malleable. That is yeah. Very malleable. So you have to mix it with other metals in order for it to become solid. And, and I've, I've always been fascinated by that because let's say, let's say that... Let, you know, the Anunnaki need gold, and they, they, they were real, right? Mm -hmm. It would just be a matter of collecting this dust and sprinkling it into their atmosphere to keep the charge going in order to keep, if I, if I, if I may, the sun from burning their atmosphere. Mm -hmm. You know? Okay. I see. Yeah. But, so, so you... and I mean, there does seem to be sort of an ancient, and, and, and it carries over a little bit today, but definitely an ancient obsession with gold. Yeah. Do you yeah. do you uh, so you said that gold was one of the rarest elements on the periodic table? Uh, so when you said when you say that, do you mean that it is genuinely the rarest metal, or it is just one? No, metal? no, no. Really? I'm I'm saying it's it's one of the rare ones that people value. Mm -hmm. 
that okay. people seem to be attracted to. Gold, mm-hmm. and, and one, one, of, one of the things that I love about, about the Bible that it, it describes scientific concepts in a, in, a, in a very practical way. And if you read the book of Kings, uh, there's, there's a chapter where it describes King Solomon creating currency for the first time. He's like, King Solomon told all the nations to bring about their gold. And from the gold, he made shekels. And from the shekels, he made these coins. And he, he basically established a currency out of all the gold. But, it, but what's interesting to me is that people were already collecting the gold. Mm. And he called them to bring their gold to make a currency. They already had it. They were already collecting it. They were already looking for it. They were already hunting it. And then Solomon comes along and says, all right, let's go make shekels. Let's go make coins. Let's go mint some coins and have an official system of currency in our, in our empire. Mm-hmm. But well, these kingdoms are already getting gold. Uh, well, aside from the Anunnaki's relation to gold, I mean, where do you, why do you think that uh, ancient people were so obsessed with that metal? Do you think it's because of the physical properties being so distinctive? Or do you think... The it's- reason why I think that gold is so important is because uh, it's a highly conductive metal. It's highly conductive. I've actually had arguments with people regarding this before in my shop that uh, they don't believe that, that gold is a conductive metal. But gold, silver, and copper are all highly conductive metals. No, that is true. So, so, so that's why they use them in our cell phones to, to, to conduct the current through the motherboards so all our phones have fractions of gold. If you get if you get like ten phones and you melt the motherboards, you'll have a gram of gold. Right, but I mean in a and, pre in a pre electricity, you know, society, I guess. Where where, where is the the practical use for it? I, I would say besides ah. besides just cosmetics. Ah, it's it's you see that's that's the thing. I I don't think that. There ever was a pre-electrical community. There, there was a pre-technology community, right? Mm-hmm. But we, we produce heat. We produce electricity. Right. We are the electrical beings. We produce a current. And when you study more spirituality, and you look at the, you look at the concept like the aura, and you study things like qigong and tai chi, and, and like, like the energy radiating from our body, we are producing heat. We are producing electricity. And if you combine our body, our heat, our electricity with a conductive metal, it only serves to raise how conductive that current could be. So that's why I believe these princes and these kings and these, these ancient, these ancient uh, leaders would wear gold because it would conduct the electricity from their own bodies. I see. Making them stronger in, in a sense. Well, yeah, in the, in, they would eat it. I, I see. So, in how exactly would it have those effects? Even in the so, let's say that it is you know conducive uh, when a person holds it, essentially, or is just in the presence of it. How exactly does that cause those kinds of specific effects? Well, I think through the process of heating it up okay. over time, mm-hmm. and, and I'm not I'm not saying that it applies to everything. I'm not saying go buy a gold chain. And, and you're going to have superpowers. Right, no. But, but I am saying that if, if, you, if you happen to be able to get your hands on 
a 24 karat gold chain, which is very rare, by the way. You probably won't find that in the States. No, exactly. Yeah. You would have to go to like Thailand or something to find something like that. If you can get your hands on a 24 karat gold piece, the, amount, the percentage of gold in it would be so, so high that if you do wear it and produce heat with it, it could produce, it could enhance, it could enhance your, 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 if I may, your spiritual, your spiritual strength. Mm -hmm. I, I believe that when we wear crystals and when we wear, when we wear like these spiritual pieces, we are setting an intention through our magnetic energy into the piece. Mm -hmm. And, and that piece is now radiating our intention like a battery. So if you mix that with gold, you're heightening the ability for that piece to radiate that energy. And you, you possibly have something that conducts a higher frequency of spiritual, spiritual energy. Good. And Do you think that's part of the reason the Anunnaki needed the gold was because they're very spiritual beings, so they can conduct their spiritual energy through this? Possibly. Possibly that's, that's uh, yeah. I could see that. I, I just know that there's always been an affection for it, an addiction for it. And yeah. the reason why, it's not, it's not very clear. But it is a fact that it's a conductive metal. So I think that definitely has a part to play in it. And, and you know, it's interesting that, that you bring that up because at one point, silver was considered more valuable than gold. And silver is that much more conductive than gold. So it's interesting because now we consider gold literally the gold standard, but at one point silver was the standard for currency and for and for for money and for value, and until they realized how rare gold is and how abundant compared to gold silver was, they 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 kept it at a at a higher value. What about a uh, platinum? Because that is technically considered a more a rarer metal in gold and also in that sense more uh, valuable i mean is that does that have any any kind of prevalency in, in cultures or any old cultures as well i don't think so because the process to to get platinum wasn't as as available back then as it is now right and i think the reason why Platinum is so valuable it's because of the process that you have to go through to get platinum. Well, from a modern perspective, do you think that it has more value now that it is uh, attainable in, in, in comparison to ancient times? Uh, yeah, I mean, I could see, I could see how, mm -hmm. I could see how uh, platinum has, uh, you know, a, a definitely a monetary value, mm -hmm. but um, but spiritually. Gold definitely has the highest, the highest value. I see. And, um, mm -hmm. and you know, the reason why platinum is so valuable, it's because, because it's used to create things like white gold. So you, you, you come back to gold either way. You know, the right. reason why, the, the, the reason why uh, copper might be valuable is because you needed to, you needed to make rose gold. So you, you still come back to gold. A gold is literally the floor, the ground level for value and that goes all the way back to the time of Solomon creating the first currency out of gold. Mm -hmm. So uh, the Anunnaki created us to get gold for them, right? Is the running theory. Um, so then why do, why did they leave? Where did they go? Do the Babylon Babylonians give us any answer to this? That is, that is, I don't think, I don't think the Babylonians, 
gave us an answer for that, but the the Atlanteans probably did. And uh, the the Bhagavad Gita from from Hinduism can also contribute to that. You know, why did they leave? That that is a universal question, and. And you're going to see that question reflect in many ways from Christianity to Judaism to, you know, ancient Babylonian studies to paganism. It's like, why did they abandon us? We don't know. We, okay. we don't know. So you just mentioned so, the Atlanteans, by the way. Yeah, I was about to say, you can't just skim over the Atlanteans like that, man. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Explain that. That's a big point right there. But yeah, no, I was I was curious. I was going to mention, like, what's your perspective on the Atlanteans and that culture? And, and do you think that Atlantis was real in that sense? Oh, for sure. Mm -hmm. oh, for sure. No, for sure. Uh, I think that if we're going that far back, we're, we're not talking about the Earth that we see today. We're, we're talking about Pangaea, this, this uh, huge landmass that was one, one landmass where all the people lived. Right. And I feel like the world that the Anunnaki inhibited was this huge cluster of land, not not one, not separate little land masses, but one cluster of land. Right. And in that in that cluster, one of the pieces was known as Atlantis, and Atlantis was one of the first places where these beings arrived. So they were the first ones to get astrology and astronomy and numerology. They were the first humans to understand the sciences. Right. And then those philosophies eventually spread to what we now know as Peru and what we now know as Mexico and what we now know as India and what we now know as China and Russia. The, the, the land was together at one point. But when Atlantis fell, the reason why it fell was because they were practicing certain magics that weren't permitted. And, and the only reason they weren't permitted was because, and here's where the, 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 the disagreements come. Some say that the Atlanteans fell because they started practicing a dark form of magic and that caused their land to sink. Others say that, that they practiced such an advanced form of magic that they literally raised their vibration far beyond our comprehension and they've elevated to a different dimension. Either one is, you know, hard to either prove or deny. So, you know, it's it's hard to say which one. But um, but personally, I I don't deny that there was a landmass known as Atlantis that inspired Hindu culture. And uh, you also, when you were when you brought it up earlier, when you first mentioned the Atlanteans, uh, you you said that from I think you mentioned that from their perspective or from their writing, uh, it supports so-and-so claim what writing of the atlanteans do we have or what perspective or where what of them do we have to use no we don't we don't have writings exactly from well, the atlanteans yeah. we have writings yeah. of the atlanteans from the hindus ah okay i see and they, they talk about an ancient culture like we're talking about an ancient culture talking about an ancient culture right that that there was a predecessor to them so I, I don't think that there's anything left from the Atlanteans mm -hmm. unless you count the Emerald Tablets, which, which you know, if you really, if you, if you are a believer in, in, in the philosophy, the Emerald Tablets are the only writing that we have from the Atlanteans that were given to us by Thoth, otherwise known as Hermes Trismegistus who was the founder of the Atlantean, the Atlantean culture. 
he's also he's also brought back as thought in Egyptian culture, bringing back the wisdom from Atlantis to Egypt, which was eventually spread from Egypt to Greece and Greece to uh, Rome. So if you look up the Emerald Tablets and you look up Thoth, there is, there is a lot of mention from Thoth's perspective of, of the Atlanteans. Okay. Um, so I know that the, the pineal gland plays a big part in esoteric tradition. Can you tell me what you know about that? The pineal gland. The third eye? Of, of course, yeah. Yeah, you know, if, if you ask me, I believe that the human is one of the most modern forms of technology that can possibly be perceived. Like, there's technology that we have right now that cannot amount to, to how advanced the, the human biomechanical system is. And the pineal gland, the way that I see it as, as a, a port or a vessel, as a, as a piece that helps us perceive this reality but also project the reality outwards you see in modern science we see the pineal gland having minimal use only regulating um melatonin levels and and you know when i first heard about the pineal gland when i was a kid and i was studying into it and i heard about the connection to the third eye uh, you know i i was very fascinated by it obviously i was i was very curious as to what this part of our brain is but then when I started going to college and I got my degree in psychology and I started studying the pineal gland from a very logical perspective, and he's like, oh yeah, no, it's nothing. It's not, it's not really useful, they would say. It's just used to regulate melatonin levels. And I'm like, wait, wait, what? You're telling me that it regulates melatonin levels? And for, for you guys, you guys know what melatonin is? Um, I actually don't know. And melatonin is, it's, uh, it's, it's a chemical in our brains that help us determine when it's day or night. Okay. So are, are we, we, when we feel sleepy at night, it's because our melatonin levels are telling us, hey, it's nighttime and it's time for bed. When we feel awake in the day, it's because our melatonin levels are taking in the sunlight, using the sunlight to determine whether or not it's day and it's time for, for being awake. Uh, people that have irregular sleeping schedules also tend to have uh, levels of higher levels of depression, and and you see that there's a connection between being depressed and and your sleeping cycle and this chemical melatonin, which uh, incidentally also helps you sleep. And my my interest is in how melatonin interacts with sunlight, and how our our um, I believe it's our cerebral cortex. No, or, or our neocortex, I forgot which part of our brain that we use to, to produce vision. What basically happens is that light, sunlight around us, all around us, is being projected through our eyes, passing through our pineal gland, and all the way to the back of our brain. In, in, our, in the back of our brain, there's like a mirror-like substance that then reflects the image back out. And that is how we see the world, as a reflection of the light being bounced in and out and and that's that's where I where my curiosity starts to lie I feel like a pin, the pineal gland is the tool that helps us quite literally construct our reality that the reality that we perceive if I may is a simulation made up of everyone's perception 
through the use of this initial light that was placed in this vacuum, imagine that this being places a little bit of light in this vacuum and then places beings that perceive this light in this vacuum. They take the light in, reflect the light out, and boom, they create what we now know as the physical reality. And it depends on who's perceiving that reality, because every organism can perceive reality differently. Yes. Um, you know, humans see invisible light, but it's not the only light that is uh, available to, uh, to organisms. Bees see an ultraviolet light. Um, I, I'm trying to think of other animals that see in different wavelengths. But regardless, you are right about that, that uh, we can perceive uh, the world around us, but there, we can perceive it in completely different ways. Um, as a result um, and actually humans have the ability to basically filter out different kinds of lights and that's why we can see the Sun uh, in the way that we do that's under a UV um, filter if you actually looked at this the Sun under visible light it's completely white uh, wow. you know, it's not uh, yellow or orange in the color that we normally perceive it but um, going back to what you were saying uh, Chase I feel like I interrupted you there uh, no, no, no! You didn't, dude. I'm, I'm always interested in what you have to say. No. Um, oh, look at so, that was so nice. <laughs> <laughs> First nice thing he said to me I, in like months. <laughs> I stop that, Joseph. Um, <laughs> so, my my question for you, John, is what's what's the connection then between the pineal gland and the opening of the third eye? What's the connection between how we perceive the world and spiritual awakening? Well. Well, uh, first of all, I'm not, I'm not a firm advocate of opening up your third eye right this second. You know, I, I'm not, I, I, if you ask me, my personal and my friendly advice is don't go open up your third eye, please. You're not ready for what you're going to see if you do. The world will be very different. I recommend yeah. starting from your root chakra and working your way up from your root to your sacral going to your solar plexus, getting some shit done, evaluating yourself, going through some emotional healing, being able to express your emotions through your throat, and then work your way up to your third eye. I okay. don't advocate for anybody to ever go open up their third eye without having a balanced root chakra, because what you're going to do is that you're going to be floating up in the air, and you're going to see things that you're not ready for, and that shit's going to traumatize you, and you will regret it. So out of, and, and, out, out of curiosity, what is, what is it that you think uh, the, th the third eye can perceive, essentially? Like, is it, or is it too abstract for you to explain? No, no, no. You, 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 hit it, you got the money. You got it on the money, man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the other frequencies that we can perceive. Mm -hmm. That is what the third eye will allow you to see. Mm -hmm. We are only able to see in, in a certain spectrum, mm -hmm. but activating your third eye will let you see in the other spectrums that we cannot perceive. Okay. And and that is that is where in those other spectrums that is where I believe and where a good percentage of the spiritual community believes including my mom that in those other frequencies is where angels and demons and the deceased live. So by opening up your third eye you're going to see things, very grotesque things that you may or may not be ready to see. Yeah. Like, and it's it's not it's not fun to see a corpse lying right there in front of you, 
and you not being able to tell anybody else because oh, what are they going to do? Is it or you see a corpse? There's nothing there, right. and you ask the other guy. There's nothing there. They think you're crazy, and boom, you end up in psych ward. And and out of curiosity, do you think that psychedelic experiences, like through psychedelic substances, are a way to peek into that, or do you simply Definitely. think that they are just neurological activities that are? You know, I definitely agree that there are substances out there that stimulate your pineal gland, especially LSD and and more more than LSD, psilocybin uh, uh, mushrooms that stimulate stimulate activity in the pineal gland. But like I said, that is not something that I advocate for because I know that most people are not ready for that. Yeah. So could you uh, backtracking a little bit? Um, could you? explain in the simplest terms possible i know it's a very hard concept to explain um chakra oh a chakra that's not it's not so complicated the, the word chakra stands for uh spinning wheel in the sanskrit language a chakra is just if if you may an energy point in the body and okay. it's where, where, where energy stimulates and circulates in the human body that is associated with certain glands. So, so around the sacral, there's a gland. Around the solar plexus, there's a gland. And around the heart, there's a gland. Around the throat, there's a gland, the thyroid. And the third eye, the pineal. And, and you know, the, all these chakras, as they were formerly known in ancient times, now known as glands, serve a different purpose in the human body. So what each chakra does is that it helps establish uh, a healthy physical body, but also developing a healthy spiritual body. You first have to understand that the human exists on three planes. The mind, which is what we hear in our heads. The body, which is the physical, the physical body that we have. And the spirit, which is that thing within us that, that allows us to perceive the way, the world, the way it is. It's, it's, the, um, it's the soul, if you may, the, the base essence. Okay. And when you, when you realize that you have all three, and you have an alignment between the three, you align your chakras from root to crown, you have a balance between the three. Producing, producing a, a frequency higher than it was before, and a human more stable, more more emotionally ready and wiser than they were before they balanced themselves. All right, before you go, okay. before you go into anything else, uh, I guess speaking for people who they might come into this con uh, into this podcast without having any prior knowledge to any spirituality, what would you, John? What would you recommend for somebody who is either interested or is looking into this podcast, saying, you know what? I'm going to take my first steps into spirituality. What would you recommend for them to get into first? Like, what would be their first step? Uh, to, to never touch a Ouija board? <laughs> really, seriously, don't do that. No, fair. but all jokes aside, guys, yeah. I would tell you to start asking yourself the, the, the main question. It's who am I? Who, who are you? Who, who are you and what do you want to be? That is the most important question in spirituality. And if you can ask yourself that question and sincerely keep the mindset of searching the answer to that question, then you've got yourself a good chance of, of figuring this whole thing out. 
because because all the spiritual texts, all the guides, all the mystics, all the teachers, all the alchemists are all talking about a way that you can perceive yourself. Understanding that your spirit is a lot older than your body and that that, that essence that's in you, that spirit, will, will go on forever and has been on forever. And, and your job as a human is to understand that spirit and hopefully make the world a slightly better place for the other beings around you. Mm. Good word Who are you? Who are you? I ask myself that every day. When I wake Good. Up. You're Joseph. What? You're Joseph. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm Joseph. I look like a Jew, you know. <laughs> the basics. Yes, yes. Uh, Joseph, what time are we at? Uh, we are at uh, one hour and 19 minutes. Let's keep going for the last, uh, the next eleven. Let's do it. All right, yeah, because um, we, we we do an hour and thirty usually, so yeah, we still got we got time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, um, any any questions, Joseph? I thought you were about to ask. I feel like I had one. It just deleted <laughs> me. Um, so, go ahead, John. Uh, I, again, I'm a musician. We mentioned this earlier, but uh, you were talking about the third eye. Uh, I've never had an experience in that sense where you can open it. Uh, in terms of music and how it relates to the third eye, is it just vis like being able to visualize things or does it affect all of your senses? It affects most of your senses. And there are people that perceive things that are not physically there in a different frequency through their hearing. Uh, they're called clairaudient. Through their vision, they're called clairvoyant. Uh, through their feelings, they're called clairsentient. It's, it's, it's the ability to perceive frequencies that are not perceived by everybody. That is what it means to open up your third eye. Mm -hmm. So when you become clairvoyant, like one of the, one of the things that clairvoyants mostly have an issue with, or any of the Clara, Clara people, they, they, they experience massive headaches. And it's because they're not they're not used to being able to handle that much energy in their body. Their bodies start to produce more energy than they were producing before, and you know eventually they have to adapt to be able to handle that much that much current. Mm -hmm. Um. So you gave us a very stern warning earlier. Don't go open our third eye. <laughs> um, well, don't start. Which. which Okay. Which I have heard, which I have heard loud and clear. But is there a correct <laughs> path to open your chakras? Is there a yeah. way? Like, is there a, a road to it? Yeah, you know, you if you ask, if you ask me, I believe the road starts with grounding yourself with nature, becoming okay. aware of the nature around you, literally going to the park, digging your feet and your fingers into the soil, and breathing in that good air. Like really inhaling in that fresh, fresh air, hearing the birds, you know, possibly away from a city, hopefully, where you could really be in tune with nature and learn how to feel safe in your environment. If you can't go to a forest or a natural reserve, figure out how you can feel safe in your environment and don't do any spiritual work unless you have an environment in which you feel safe. From okay. there, work your way up to your sacral. Try to heal your sexual energy. Try to figure out what it is that you really want from this life, what you want from a partner. 
work your way up and figure out what actions you want to take and where you want to go in your life. Use your solar plexus, focus the energy there to motivate you towards a destiny, a goal, and work your way up using literally the energy from your stomach. Once you've accomplished something, if, it's, if you're a musician, you wrote a song. If you have a messy room, you cleaned your room. If you want to start a business, you, you made the name. You got the website. Something small. Take a step. Use your, use your sacral to take that first step. And then work your way up to your heart chakra. Because as you're facing this new journey or this venture, whatever venture that may be, you're going to see that you have a lot of emotional trauma. It may be generational trauma. It may be recent trauma. It may be somebody else's trauma. But learn how to heal your own trauma before you can go help others. Once you've done that, then figure out how you can express yourself. Figure out what it is that you are, who are you, look for that in your heart, really dig into your heart and figure out who you are, and then go to your throat and communicate that to the world. Because you're going to see what you are and what you're about, that's a vision that can be shared by other people that may be in a different part of the journey, and they're more than happy to hear what you have to say. Give a helping hand and communicate your success and your failures, more importantly, to those around you. Once you've done effective communication and you see that you can express yourself well, then you can go to your third eye. Then you're ready to perceive things that are not there. Then you, you have the tools that you need to be stable among some of the most horrific things and some of the most blissful things that you could possibly imagine. And by that time, by the time you've done all of that, you're a king. And you're worthy of the title because you're at the crown. You're a king, not because you're better than everybody else, but because you are as good as you were, or even better than you were before, and you are helping other people achieve that level. That, that is what it means to be a spiritual person, to be the best damn person you can possibly be, and then helping others do the same. That is the journey. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so to sort of wrap things up you said earlier before we started the actual podcast you had an event coming up could you just tell us about that oh yeah well, actually there's there's a lot of events coming up um you know right now what is it it was august 26th on august 29th there is uh, a, a an event called source i'm not the host i'm just a vendor but it, it kind of comes to show where the community has come to grow i got a whiff from one of my students who is now one of my teachers melanie flores and she's she's been uh, she's had a, an amazing journey, and she's connected with other communities in New Jersey that have had these conventions, these spiritual gatherings, and right now is the first time that we get to be part of it. And um, it, it's really interesting to see how the community is growing, how people are coming together. Uh, there's there's a culture of veganism and vegetarianism and yoga and spiritual music, spiritual rap, crystals. You see a very loving, welcoming spiritual environment being developed. And the way that I see it, like the Woodstock of the 1970s, except for spiritual people. And aside from that, I have a full moon ritual. We host a full moon ritual uh, on a semi-regular basis. As of, as of September and October, we're going to have them on a regular basis. That's going to happen on September 3rd. I believe there's going to be a big one on October 3rd, and there's going to be a huge one on October 31st, happening here at our studio, the School of Mystic Arts. Um, aside from that, we are we are planning uh, a few classes here at the School of Mystic Arts. We're going to have some chakra alignments. We're going to have uh, we're going to have some 
metaphysical talks, open mics. Uh, one thing that I'm personally very excited about is like the mystic dating, the mystic speed dating, where I want to gather a bunch <laughs> of spiritual people and see if we can have like a, a, a nice little mystic spiritual dating situation where awesome. you get a list of questions and you 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 ask your your, your partner at the moment those questions and you see Jonathan if you drive. Is super excited for that, by the way. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's out. coming, man. You'll be you'll be one of the first ones invited. <laughs> I'm not sure you're there. You know, you'll be there. He's got a fucking shit-eating grin on his face right now. <laughs> I see that. I see that. I mean, he's he's met quite a few wonderful people in the in the community. He can't complain. Very, uh, very beautiful. <laughs> very wonderful, beautiful people. Yeah. And um, you know, more, more importantly than anything, the, the passion that I have for building this is to establish an environment when people can express their spirituality openly, where they can really work on their throat chakra and they can really work on their on their heart chakra without fear of ridicule. So, I mean, my vision is eventually seeing people in, in Harry Potter robes, you know, mystic robes, and I see a very practical use to it. You know, when you're dealing with oils and you're dealing with herbs and you're dealing with all these ingredients, you don't want to get your regular clothing dirty. So wear a robe, clean it off on your robe, and you know, what better way to let that chi flow than nice, long, loose, flowy clothing, you know? No, that's yeah. fair. And before we also wrap up, I was just going to ask you, you know, if you want to tell the audience what your uh, handles are, your social media handles, so that way, you know, they can find you and follow you if they would so like. Oh, sure. Yeah, you can um, you can find us on Instagram as Cielo underscore Mystic. You can look up on Facebook, Cielo Mystic. You can go to CieloMystics.com, like Cielo Mystics with an S at the end, dot com for our shop. Or you can just look up CieloMystic.com for our social media platform. We made a social media platform just for mystics. I have to admit it's a project that I haven't personally uh, given as much as attention as I'd like to, but we do have a social media platform. We have an online shop. We have uh, we have a front on Instagram and on Facebook. Fantastic. Uh, and where is the, where's the actual shop at? Oh, the shop is located on 321 48th Street, Union City, New Jersey, here in Hudson County. Excellent. Yeah. Cool. All right, guys. So, well, we've uh, we've completed episode thirteen of the fifty four podcast. I was happy to have all of you with us. Um, so, to conclude this episode, we have Chase Fry, we have Cielo Mystic, Jonathan Suarez, who I still don't know what he does, and me, Jason Cruz, <laughs> your host. So, anyhow, guys, it's been a pleasure. And Thank we'll you see so you much, again guys. For episode fourteen. Thanks Thank for you. coming on, man. Thank you, guys. Appreciate Thank it. you so much for having me. All right.